This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. My name is Alicia. Thanks for joining us this week. For two wild men with some with some trashy divorce history between the two of them and scandals and oh, oh. we we learn all kinds of things. These two guys both ready to run in very diverse ways. Who you got? Who you oh. got for the people this week? This week I'm bringing the two marriages, two divorces, and number of engagements of comedic legend Jim Carrey. Went places. Did go places. And this week you got a you got a baller of a story. Yeah, yeah. Mine goes places. We go down under to talk about cricketer Shane Warren, Australia's one of Australia's greatest players, one like one of the greatest living players of the sport of cricket, which will surprise most Americans that such a thing is even a thing. This was a really educational and well informed trashy divorces ride this week. We learned some new words before. <laughs> We get started with the episode. Let's pull out this magic mirror and give some love yes. and thanks and praise to our new Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Stacy, kick us off. Thank you so much for joining us, Donna P, Katrina L, Jesse L, Lauren P, Sarah L, and Jennifer J, as well as Copper K and Christine L, who upgraded their membership this week. Also, if you haven't caught it yet, we did a special fun guest appearance. Over What a Creep. Mm. And I have a very special shout out in the magic mirror to Michelle M., Sonia's sister. Michelle, thank you for listening, mm-hmm. being our biggest Trash Panda fan. You're the best. All right. And with that, are we ready to run, Alicia? If you're waiting on me, you're backing up. Let's go, go, go. Alicia, you have a story this week of a man who began life as a pet detective. Is that correct? I think that's probably true. Uh Something like that. Uh Funny man Jim Carrey is my Trashy Divorces profile of the week. Jim Carrey, funny man, ready to run. Two Trashy Divorces, not exactly a all-star Hall of Famer in the Trashy Divorces lexicon, but when it comes to... Trashy engagements? Hmm. Maybe there's a new category here. Oh, that's fun. I have one in mind, too. So great. Jim Carrey, trendsetter, groundbreaker. Two up, two down. A lot of engagements. Always the groomsman, never the groom. I don't know. It appears after his two divorces, he seems ready to run. Let's talk about it. James Eugene Carey, youngest of four kids, born January 17th, 1962, in Ontario, Canada. Canadian Capricorn man. Mm. Youngest of four kids. Percy and Kathleen. Goes well enough, I guess, until Kathleen, his mom, is sick throughout his childhood. A lot. Mm. Now, Jim credits this to his comedic abilities. He wanted to make her feel better. That makes sense. There are a lot of comics who... Right. Yeah, personal tragedy. Unsufferable and like want to bring that light to the world. What is it? Comedy is tragedy plus time? Yeah. That's something like that. <laughs> that's yeah. Exactly it. 
So at school, Jim becomes the class clown. He's always entertaining his classmates. At home, he tends to be a pretty solitary kid. He'll spend hours alone in his room, staring into a mirror, making faces and practicing impersonations. This will come in handy later. At some point. Give it some time. Give it a little more tragedy, which is coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, But by the age of 10, he's feeling pretty confident about his comedic skills. He feels he's good enough at his impressions that he has a great idea, which is he should be the next addition to the Carol Burnett show. At 10 in Uh Canada. Okay. No, like in America. Like I need to be on the Carol. I'm good enough, Carol, to be on stage with you. Did he bundle up his belongings in a bandana and put it on a stick and just hike across the border? Like what? No, he wrote Carol Burnett a letter. Okay. uh, Explaining in full detail why she should hire him. My name is Jim Carrey. Mm -hmm. I'm 10 years old. And I do impressions and I'm really very, very good. He will not make it, oddly enough, on the famous comedy show. But he does get a reply letter from Carol Burnett. Mm. We, the, we do love these. Okay. That's so great. You tell me. It's- okay. Well, Jim's family is struggling financially and his dad loses his job as an accountant. And this sends the family into some pretty bad times. They become unhoused for a while. They're living in a van for part of the time. And they, his, his mother has health issues as mm-hmm. well. This is yeah, very bad. No, it's yeah. very... It's, it, there's definite tragedy. Mm-hmm. The family will live in a tent on his sister's front lawn wow. for a little while as well. Like they definitely yeah. go through some hard times. In order to help the family financially, a lot of kids, like this is common, kid gets a job at a super early age to help their family get by. So Jim and some of his siblings do exactly that. Mm-hmm. Picks up janitorial work. And the family was eventually able to find housing again. So Jim will get his first stand-up experience at 15 in Toronto. It did not go well. (laughs) The financial pressures of the family kind of not doing great at that first gig and his mother's continued poor health. Jim is going to drop out of high school by 16. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's. Yeah. But him dropping out only makes his desire to succeed burn hotter. Jim's dad will drive him around to comedy gigs, and he begins to make a name for himself in the Toronto area. Greater Toronto and environs. So he's making the rounds in Canada, and he is noticed by no less than a Rodney Dangerfield. And Jim is going to get his big break when Rodney Dangerfield signs him as his opening act. Wow. We're going on tour, kid. That's Wow. So teenager opening at, wow. Mm-hmm. Good for Rodney Dangerfield. And good for spotting, Jim Carrey. Spotting some talent. Getting out of Toronto. Yeah. Taking it to the streets. So by 1983, Jim Carrey's like, I'm moving to Hollywood. That's the best thing that I can do for my career. Once Jim gets settled in Hollywood, mm-hmm. he goes on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. He also is getting gigs at famous clubs like... The world famous comedy store. Okay. Okay. So the comedy store here, something super fun, is located at the base of Laurel Canyon. And the comedy store, previous to its early 1970s reinvention as the comedy store, was the location of Ciro's, the 
famous nightclub slash folk rock spot of huge significance and importance. And we are going to talk about Ciro's and the birds and more Laurel Canyon on Spiderwebs this week. It's coming up. I'm so excited. Okay. But at this time, Uh it's the early 1980s and the Comedy Store, which Jim Carrey is performing at. But wait, it gets more fun. Because one night, I, I can't even talk about how, I don't even know how to launch this to you because this news is of such delight to my heart. Linda Ronstadt is in the audience of the Comedy Store looking for a comic to bring on her next tour. As one of her opening acts. This is her second appearance in this season because Steve Martin, she also was interesting. So Linda Ronstadt, voice of an angel. I love lo- her. Loves loves some stand-up, apparently. She likes Jim Carrey's performance. She thinks Jim Carrey's a funny guy. She also finds him very attractive. Oh, my God. So after his set, Linda Ronstadt will introduce herself to Jim Carrey and ask, like, hey, do you want to open for me? And uh, he's like, no, but I'll go out with you if you want. <laughs> he's 21. Linda's 36. Wow. She's a household name. Like, yeah. Linda. But yeah. Whoa. <sighs> Angel. Linda's like, yeah, it's cool, I guess, that you live with your parents. They date for several months, Jim Carrey and Linda Ronstadt. Wow. Isn't that fantastic? I wonder if she told him about Steve Martin. (laughs) Jim Carrey will tell Howard Stern, we were together for about eight months. Oh, wow. She was an absolutely incredible human being. She is an incredible human being. Jim will praise Linda for being really down to earth and not minding that he'd come to pick her up for dates in his crusty, rusty Chevrolet Bel Air. I can only imagine. He said, I couldn't open the passenger door. So she'd just say, I'll roll down the window. And she'd just crawl in. Oh, my God. So this romance does not last long, but the two remain on good terms. That's cool. And Jim will continue working as a stand-up comic and is getting some small parts in movies and television shows. His parents do come and move in with him in Hollywood, and Jim is supporting mom and dad at this time. I just, can you imagine, like... Oh, hey, mom and dad. Have you? Here's my girlfriend. You met my girlfriend. (laughs) Isn't it amazing? Like literally the most amazing story I've. I I love this podcast journey that we're on. Hello, Linda. Can we treat you to some poutine? (laughs) Now the 80s come along, right? Woo. First box office success. Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Is in Once Bitten with Lauren Hutton. Okay. That's 1985. Then he appears in Peggy Sue Got Married with Nick Cage and Kathleen Turner. Mm -hmm. Earth Girls Are Easy Mm -hmm. with Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum. Not sure I remembered that he was in that, but yes. Damon Wayans was in that too. That was 1988. So the connection that Jim Carrey makes here with Damon Wayans is what is going to lead to his bigger break. For those who may not remember, in Living Color... It's a sketch comedy series created by Keenan Ivory Wayans and Damon Wayans. And Jim Carrey stars in the show until it ends in 1994. His character was Fire Marshal Bill. But all of those years of practicing faces and impersonations uh-huh. and were not wasted. <laughs> right. Because all of those impersonations and impressions that are featured on the show earn him recognition. People begin to know his face and his 
providing the perfect stage and setting for Jim Carrey to be launched into the next level of superstardom. But Alicia, we're here for the trashy divorces. So let's oh. get to the, I know, right? Mm-hmm. I, I threw you off at the whole Linda Romstadt thing. Jim's work at the comedy store will have him meet Melissa Womer. Now, Melissa had come to Los Angeles with Hollywood aspirations, working as a cocktail waitress at the comedy store, trying to get her career started. And it was cool because she can earn some pretty decent money and participate in open mic nights where she practices her own routines. Here comes Jim, 1986. Jim and Melissa meet, quickly start a relationship. Melissa is soon pregnant. The two get married March 28th, 1987. Six months later, their daughter is born. Happy young family. Melissa continues to work as a cocktail waitress. Jim focuses solely on his comedy career. Mm -hmm. As life does. Mm -hmm. Sadness and tragedy. 1991, Jim Carrey's mom dies. His father passes away in 1994. Wow. Three years later. That's a lot. So in that same year, 1994, three of his biggest movies in his entire career are released. The Mask, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and Dumb and Dumber. So he had been working just Mm -hmm. feverishly, and it was paying off professionally. But the recompense of that is the toll it takes on his personal life. So Carrie has publicly complained that he would come home walking on the moon as Ace and be unable to handle the old domesticity. Like, I I come home to a wife and kids and trash that needs to be taken out. And, you know, we got to clean the garage this weekend. Melissa recalls saying, you must come home and put your feet back on the ground and take your garbage out like everyone else, or I can't be married to you. Mm -hmm. That's, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, he's been working toward, you know, this thing for years, decades, maybe. And at the same time, yeah, she's got their kid. And uh, yeah, that's... And you come home and you're on fire. Like, I Mm -hmm. get that creative... Yeah, you've spent all day with, like, amazing people in one of the most interesting industries in the world. And like, yeah. And you're on fire with, like, oh, the world. And then you come home and it's like, take out the damn trash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Help me fold the laundry. So even before these movies were released and Jim Carrey hit superstardom yeah. level, yeah. the marriage to Melissa is already fractured. Hmm. The couple reportedly, allegedly, <laughs> splits in 1993, although there is some difference in that date depending on which one of the couple hmm. is telling the story. That's interesting. Jim holds very firm to that 1993 date because it benefits him financially if he and Melissa were not together when he signed those lucrative movie contracts yep. for his breakout year in 1994. Yep. It also eliminates the problem of him meeting and falling in love with Lauren Holly, wife number two on the Yikes. set of Dumb and Dumber. Okay. <laughs> it was definitely 1993. <laughs> 100% 1993. Okay. According to Jim. Yes. According to Melissa, who huh. will tell Rolling Stone, it was 
definitely 1994. That <laughs> the reason for the divorce was Jim's desire, quote, to enjoy success from the perspective of a single man, unquote. I mean, who are you going to believe? <laughs> <laughs> now, Jim Carrey, to his credit, does not pretend to be a saint regarding his separation from Melissa. When asked about the impending divorce, he was quick to claim fault. He will tell the New York Times in 1994, Look, I'm a hard guy to live with. I live like a caged animal. I'm up all night walking around the room. It's hard for me to come down from what I do. Marriage number one. Over. Over 1995. After seven years of marriage. There is kind of an ugly fight over money and assets. The couple eventually agrees to a private settlement. Moving us on to marriage number two. See Jim and Lauren had been together for a while when the divorce was finalized mm -hmm. with Melissa in 95. Mm -hmm. And did they just race on over to the altar? They were seen out in public together often during their relationship. He says he felt he already knew Holly even before he met her because he had watched and admired her on All My Children for years. <laughs> All right, Jim. Poster on the wall. Big, Dude, be wary of the poster on the wall. Big soap opera guy, was he? Big All My Children guy. Yeah, Billy Clyde wouldn't insane. So after a few years of living together, the couple decide to marry in a secret ceremony. But often as secret ceremonies go, the paparazzi gets an anonymous tip. The paparazzi followed the couple along a Malibu highway until they got out on a mountain bluff overlooking the ocean where the two exchanged vows September 23rd, 1996. What year did his divorce become final? 1995. So okay. they did not race exactly to the altar. They lived together. Okay. They took their time racing up the highway to Malibu. Okay. With they, paparazzi in tow. They took longer to get married than the marriage actually lasted. Uh, one of those. Eight months. Woohoo. Boom. Lauren Holly has since spoken about the intense media attention mm -hmm. and invasion of their privacy during the relationship. It got to a point where photographers are jumping through the fence and taking pictures through their windows and would go through their garbage. Jim's like, yeah, you didn't want me to take it out. Did you even anyway? <laughs> no, it's a, I mean, a terrible joke, but for a very stressful situation. Right. Like it is an invasion of privacy for sure. And it takes yeah. a toll on the marriage. Lauren Holly files for divorce July 1997, citing... Irreconcilable differences. Mm -hmm. The two, again, remain on good terms. He's apparently friendly with his exes, mostly. First engagement. Hmm. 2TD alum, Renee Zellweger. Wow. His just keep on coming. Jim meets Renee when they co-star in the 1999 film Me, Myself, and Irene. Hmm. Jim Carrey quickly falls for Renee Zellweger. She's a little more hesitant. She doesn't want to date anyone while she's filming. That's, That's probably, a professional relationship, and I'm not going to interfere with that. Probably a good policy. Renee will tell Entertainment Weekly that their relationship was a very unexpected, wonderful thing. In that same interview, Jim will say of Renee Zellweger that she helped keep him grounded. She's a very connected person. She thinks having a good time is renting a U-Haul and taking furniture to Texas. She's real in that way, and I absolutely love it. These two love doves, 
their relationship very public. People are still, you know, mm-hmm. jumping out of the fences to take pictures. They'll get engaged shortly after they begin dating. They go to the 2000 Golden Globes together. They are just drippy in love. 2000 is also the year that the magic dies before they make it down the aisle. Better it happened before. Next up, Jenny McCarthy. Mm. Oh, good times. Uh, That's Jim's next major relationship. It begins in 2005. This one I feel like I've heard the most about, honestly. Well, they're together five years. And in public, they appear very stable and very happy. And they're always having fun. And Jim plays a very active and positive role raising Jenny's son, who has autism that she's been super public about. So it all looks really, really good on the surface. After five years together in April of 2010, Twitter is a twit with the couple each putting out statements. Jenny says, I'm so grateful for the years Jim and I shared together. I will stay committed to Jane. This is Jim Carrey's 22-year-old daughter. And I will always keep Jim as a leading man in my heart. Jim Carrey tweets, Jenny and I have just ended our five-year relationship. I'm grateful for the many blessings we've shared, and I wish her the very best. But he's grateful for the number four. So, I... All right. (laughs) There's a character limit. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny McCartney will go on Oprah and talk about it just not being fun anymore. Jenny McCarthy. What did I say? McCartney. I had to think about it. Okay, sorry. Jenny McCarthy will go on Oprah and talk about it just not being... Did I say it again? Or did I... No, I'm just... How? Okay. how why? <laughs> what? Oprah, what are you doing? Jenny talks about it just not being fun anymore. Like, it... I don't know. I think there's still some struggles with depression. Like, he... I think he'd be a hard guy to date, is what... In my opinion, I think Mm -hmm. he'd be a very hard guy to date. She'll tell Larry King, Jenny will. The key that didn't work was. So I'm again like, what? Why? I don't know. Was us both growing and changing in opposite directions. I mean, which is fine. I. Jenny McCarthy will go on to marry former new kids on the block member, Donnie Wahlberg in 2014. It appears the two are very happily married. He takes a lot of pictures of his six-pack in the gym, mm-hmm. I've noticed. Yeah. He's, uh... That is a pretty aggressive fitness routine, my friend. Keep it up. Let's go back to Jim, because the story is about Jim, and sure. it always seems like the Wheel of Fortune is going to flip to tragedy. Oh, God. I know. In 2012, Jim will begin an on-again, off-again relationship with an Irish actress, photographer, and makeup artist. Her name is Catriona White. Their relationship is documented definitely throughout social media posts and public sightings. They're together in a variety of cities. However, both are suffering from depression and their relationship was awfully tumultuous during their time together. In 2013, in the midst of the relationship with Jim, Catriona gets married. But not to Jim. But not to Jim. Interesting. Interesting choice. In September of 2015, Jim and Catriona apparently decided to completely break up. 
On September 28th, Catriona was found dead surrounded by prescription pills and a note to Jim Carrey. Oh, my God. With her death determined to be a suicide. Wow. I did not know any of that. After her death, her husband and her mother, Catriona's, file a wrongful death lawsuit against Jim Carrey, claiming he had provided her with the pills. Oh, my God. That she overdosed on. The lawsuit also claimed that he gave Catriona a variety of sexually transmitted diseases, including chlamydia, oral herpes, and genital herpes. Wow. Jim Carrey responds by filing a countersuit for extortion. In January 2018, the wrongful death lawsuit against Jim Carrey is dropped, and one of Jim's representatives will make the following statement. The case and all claims against Jim Carrey have been dismissed. He is extremely grateful to everyone in his life who supported him throughout this challenging episode. Jim has been linked to a few other women since his relationship with Catriona, but he appears to be staying single, enjoying the art scene. He's become a quite a prolific painter, painting out some of his feelings over the last few years, and I applaud that. I feel like the last photo, like, I feel like he's got an incredible beard these days. He's just rocking the beard. I don't know how many trash cans he gets, but they're all at the comedy store, surrounded by Linda Ronstadt. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a downer note. I'm sorry I ended on that, but that is the trashy divorces breakups arc of Jim Carrey. Well, maybe, maybe better days are ahead for him. When we come back, we're going to have a something a little lighter, which is not to reduce the absolute wasteland of human conflict that's in it, but uh, it's a little lighter all the same. Also, you're going to explain to everyone how cricket works. <laughs> that's worth the price of admission by <laughs> itself. See you on the flip, y'all. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. There's never a wrong time to take a look at the things that are keeping you from living your best life. And if now is your moment, we recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient, and safe professional counseling with your own licensed therapist. BetterHelp's quick questionnaire matches you with a counselor in under 24 hours, and you can message your counselor at any time, even between scheduled phone or video sessions. And if you're not clicking, that's fine. It is free to change counselors. BetterHelp is available worldwide. They offer specialized expertise that may not be available locally where you live. It's more affordable than traditional counseling. Financial aid is available as well. It has just never been easier to find a licensed professional counselor. In fact, there are so many people using BetterHelp that they are recruiting counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living your happiest life today. As a Trashy Divorces listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash trashy. Join more than 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health. Visit betterhelp, that's betterhelp.com slash trashy. Hey, Trash Panda Nation, let's everyone just take a minute, give yourselves credit for getting to today, and now we cue Sir Elton John. I'm still standing. Would you like to say that you are standing better than I ever did about your personal finances? Our friends at the Oak Tree Group are ready and willing to help you. The mission of this all-female firm is to guide you through all phases of your financial journey using an intuitive and holistic approach. Best of all, Oak Tree Group is offering our Trashy Divorces listeners a free one-hour consultation with no obligation to talk about your financial concerns. Give the Oak Tree Group a call today at 770-319-1700 to set up your appointment. Again, that number is 770-319-1700. And you can always visit www.theoaktreegroup.net for more information. So you got a baller of a sticky wicket this week, Stacey? I think you mean bowler. Oh, bowler, not baller. Well, okay, both. Actually, Why can't it be both? It, it's both. <laughs> it's both. Alicia, bad boy athletes are not exactly a new phenomenon. And we've covered a few over the years. There's Tiger Woods. There's David Justice. There's John McEnroe. All Americans. Today, I have something a little different and a little bit the same. Today, we are going down under to talk about an athlete most Americans have probably never heard of, who became a legend in a sport most Americans don't know much about. I'm talking about Shane Warne, the pride of Melbourne, and the sport is cricket. I have learned some things this week, Alicia, about cricket. Explain how it works, because it's really 
nonsensical to Americans. Everything I'm about to say is based on about three days of investigation. Feel free to email your corrections, which I, as an uninformed American, will ignore. <laughs> Some things I have learned this week. Cricket is not named for the insect. <laughs> it's possibly a reference to the cricket bat, which is broader and flatter than a baseball bat. And think like a shepherd's crook, if you're curious about the linguistic origins of you know how that might have come to be. There was also a Flemish word for a common three-legged stool, like a krika stola or something that uh, perhaps looks like the wicket, which we will talk about in a moment. What I'm hearing is the legend of the cricket myth is seeped in mystery. <laughs> cricket probably, well, cricket definitely originated in England, probably in the 1550s or so, just as a kid's game. It's evolved from their basics, two teams, 11 persons each. The fielding team has all 11 players out on the pitch, while the batting team has two batsmen on the pitch. Each batsman stands at a wicket, which is approximately a thigh-high three-pronged structure with two wooden slats on top, like holding the three posts together. They're called bales in the game. Okay. Think of a, a gate and a fence. That's probably the original structure. We're talking, again, 1550s England kids game. It's the stickball of Tudor England. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, there are some similarities with baseball, but there are enough differences to be absolutely hilarious to the uninformed American like me. In cricket, the pitcher is known as the bowler. And the bowler's job technically is to use the ball to strike the wicket, while the batsman standing in front of the wicket, their job is to defend the wicket from the ball. When a batsman gets a hit, remember there are two batsmen on the field, each standing at a wicket. They run back and forth from wicket to wicket, 22 yards apart, scoring runs each time they successfully cross to the other wicket until the fielding team either catches the ball before it can touch the ground or manages to strike one of the wickets with the ball. This sounds like a lot of unnecessary activity. Why don't you just stand at your wicket and defend your wicket? It's really, it's a war against, well, because you want, you want runs. You I, score runs. Okay. It's a war against wickets. I don't know what the wickets did, <laughs> but the wickets at some point angered someone. And did I mention the seeped in mystery part? Modern wickets, based on a bunch of YouTube videos I watched, light up when they're struck, which ah. um, is clarifying from like an umpire perspective. You don't have to wonder. Fancy. Mm -hmm. It's cool. The bowler situation, the pitcher, very unlike baseball. First, you're, you're bowling low because the wicket is fairly low. Second, oh, uh, also the ball is allowed to bounce before it reaches the batsman. That is oh. not allowed in baseball. Second, the specific movement by the rules of the game has to generate velocity using the shoulder and wrist rather than by extending the elbow. And third, bowlers are allowed to run a short distance to generate momentum. <laughs> what this means in practice is that if you're a batsman standing in front of a wicket on a cricket pitch staring down legendary spin bowler Shane Warne, is that all of a sudden you have a brawny six-foot-tall blonde fellow running at you in a peculiar way as he winds up his arm to launch a projectile toward you at approximately 50 miles an hour. What? Shane Warren's claim to fame, aside from all the trashy stuff that we're going to get to in a minute, 
was that he had incredible command of the spin on the ball. So his pitches would veer and dip unexpectedly, often landing a little to the side of the batsman. They would frequently shoot diagonally behind the batsman, striking the wicket and scene. Does he have a hidden crew of angels sitting on the sideline drinking tea, helping him guide these shots like angels on the outfield just on the cricket pitch? As we will see, I doubt that Shane Warren has (laughs) too many angels angels floating around him. (laughs) Shane's career in cricket ran from 1992 until his retirement in 07. I think he continued playing maybe in England through like 2013 or so, but... But that, I think that's the span that really, for Australian... Shane Warren with the magic balls. Oh, wait. He single-handedly reinvigorated leg spin bowling in the sport. What the hell is that? It's, uh, okay. it's where it's a slower sure. form of... There's fast bowling. There's... Dumb American, I'm going to let you sound like a genius. I've learned a lot. There's Witterkins. There's not. I made that up. (laughs) Leg spin bowling, which had been viewed as old-fashioned. Also known as Witterkins. (laughs) Which uh, had been known, uh, sorry, which had been viewed as old-fashioned for a couple of decades. It was kind of out of favor. Um, He deployed that exact technique of dropping the ball next to... English batsman Mike Gatting, only to have the ball launch itself back up behind him to take the wicket uh, in 1993 at an event that has come to be known in cricket as the ball of the century, or even just that ball. You're good. The Gatting ball. The Gatting ball. It's famous. Uh, it, It really, like, people I don't think at the time were like, oh, that's a famous thing that just happened, but... It marks a moment in cricket, especially in Australian cricket, where, I don't know, there was before the ball of the century and there was after the ball of the century. Seeped in mystery and surrounded in legend. That ball. (laughs) Okay, Shane Warren has been married and divorced once. He was engaged for a time to actress Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, wow. But it's really his relationship with his text messaging or SMS messages, as you Aussies call it. That's caused the most heat nope. in his life. Nobody. He's the Anthony Weiner of Australia. A bit. A bit. Oh, a bit a no. Bit. First things first. Shane Warren was born on September 13th, 1969 in Upper Fern Tree Gully, Victoria, an outer suburb of Melbourne. He's a Virgo. He should know better. I wonder what moon or rising he has to make him act like that. Isn't it opposite when you're on the other side of the world? It's a very un-Virgo-like trait to be brought down by your illicit text messages. Tell me more. Well, his moon's in Uranus. (laughs) (laughs) Shane has a younger brother, Jason. When Shane was three and a half, another kid in his playgroup jumped on his legs, snapping both of them, which led to a brief hospitalization for traction and then a lengthy recovery in a full body cast. Oh, my. The family wasn't well off, and both parents had night jobs on top of day work to make ends meet. His mother occasionally cleaned the home of Bob Hawke, Prime Minister of Australia, whenever Bob's wife Hazel needed some extra help, so the boys had occasional use of the Prime Minister's tennis court, and sometimes got to meet prominent people while they played there. As he and his brother grew up, they played sports in the neighborhood, they tinkered with cars with their dad, they 
you know, got hurt in the rough and tumble of 70s and 80s childhoods, healed, moved forward, whatever. It sounds like a pretty normal childhood. As a young kid, he preferred tennis and Australian rules football over cricket, which uh, I think was in a bit of a sleepy period, which I didn't know it ever had emerged from myself. But anyway. I love it. Like you're talking, it was in a bit of a sleepy sleepy period. period. In the late 70s, an Australian broadcast network decided that it could make a mint on this little sport of cricket if only they could get the rights away from Australia's state-owned broadcaster. When the Australian Cricket Board refused their, you know, we would like the rights to that, the network secretly signed a bunch of cricket powerhouse players from Australia and around the world and created its own World Series cricket competition featuring multiple camera angles, excited and knowledgeable commentators, and the kind of athlete celebrity promotion that we're all familiar with in modern sports broadcasting. Trashy. Yeah, this was new for Australia at the time. Like, Color television was a relatively recent innovation. Like there was just an opportunity to really take things to a different level and to make cricket really fun, which they did. So this was new. Uh, It supercharged cricket in Oz and as an international sport. This thing only ran like three years, but uh, it seems to have also been a watershed moment. Young man Shane was eventually recruited to a private school with a sports scholarship to finish out his high school years. And this place had premium cricket facilities. Tennis kind of went by the wayside and he focused on Aussie rules football, which was his preferred sport, and cricket, which was not. Uh, After he graduated, it was football that he wanted to focus on. But in 89, when he was 18, he was cut from the organization he'd been trying to work his way up in. It was a big blow. He went into a variety of normie jobs, delivering pizzas, selling jewelry, whatever. None of which spoke to him to try to earn a living. Fortunately for him, a friend was heading to England to play cricket for the 1989 English summer and asked if he wanted to go. So off Shane goes, playing cricket at a tempo that was absolutely unheard of in Australia. He said it would have taken like you know, three or four years to cram in all the playing that he did in six months in England. So it really accelerated his growth as a player and also just his interest in the sport. Like, I I think it just hadn't, he had not developed a passion for it yet. He wanted to play footy. (laughs) (laughs) Back in Oz, he was selected to train at the Australian Cricket Academy. They have that in 1990 making his debut in um, first-class cricket. This is like the international team in February 91. He spent some more time playing in England later, returned to a bit of a stumbling 92 in Australia, but he was selected for the Australian team for 1993's Ashes Tour of England, which is where the ball of the century happened. Ah. So I want to talk about the Ashes Tour, and then we're going to just get on to Shane, but there's just like reading about cricket is just interesting. So the this Ashes Tour, this is a regular cricket competition between Australia and England that is so named because way back in 1882, Australia experienced its first big cricket win on English soil, which promoted the publication of a satirical obituary for English cricket, noting that, quote, the body will be cremated and the ashes taken to Australia. This became marketing gold. The following year, a group of women from Melbourne had a decorative terracotta urn made for the occasion. The English captain insisted that he would recover those ashes. And by the early 20th century, 
like it was just the Ashes tour. And so they, I think they go back and forth. One year it's in England. The next time it's in Australia. That is fantastic. Right. So that, okay, cricket, again, your corrections can be emailed to us, but we won't read them. <laughs> no, we will actually. Anyway, back to Shane. At this juncture, I owe a debt to our dear friend Kelly S. in Sydney, who sent us a comprehensive list of the scandals and cell phones in the life of someone who she suggests is kind of viewed as a talented and doofy sort of man. Not really malicious, but anyway, we shall see. First up, and this did not come to light until 1998, professional cricketer Shane and another player sold match information to a bookie in India. Oh, God. For months. No. They didn't tell anybody they were doing this. Mostly it was just weather information and pitch conditions. <gasps> but, you know, that could be used to guess at how the team might play, which players they might put out as batters and which pairs. Like, you know. We know how code language works. But yeah, the team was on tour for this period and they were like calling in info to this guy in exchange for thousands of dollars. To There's storms in Cuba. Who knows what that code is? <laughs> So they're also rooming with teammates while this is happening. And so teammates are like hearing them on the phone, sharing. They're like, why are you calling anyone? Yeah. Hey, and sharing tomato. this. Like, this yeah. is very bad. Terrible. Even worse, the year 1995, there were small scandals around cricket match fixing that were starting to bubble up in the international cricket arena. Oh, no. Which prompted Australian cricket officials to begin an investigation to make sure that no Aussies were involved or just up to no good. And, of course, this turns up that Shane and his teammate, in fact, were... Totally up to no good. ...being paid by this guy known as John the Bookmaker. Oh. No <laughs> last name ever given. Oh, God. Both players were fined. This was 10000 and 8000 Australian dollars to the two of them. These are the largest fines in Australian cricket history, which would be noteworthy, except that the Australian cricket board totally covered it up. <laughs> this did not become public until a reporter at the Australian unearthed the whole John the Bookmaker thing and then the official silence. The lost about apostle, it. John the Bookmaker. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Oh. <laughs> Anyway, this was a pretty big scandal in Australian sport, and I think for international cricket as well, that um, was finally put to bed the old-fashioned way. The Australian Cricket Board brought in a prominent prosecutor to investigate everything and then write a really tough report about sure. it, and life went on. Yeah. Okay. We are just getting started. Friends. Oh, hell. In the year of our Lord 2000, Shane Warren, Warney Warren, who had signed a $200,000 sponsorship with a nicotine replacement therapy company that required that he quit smoking, was photographed by some teenage fans outside oh, of a match no. smoking. He noticed the kids and their camera, and during a rain delay, he approached the boys and asked for it. They told him other friends had taken it home already, so he asked what they planned to do with the picture, and one of them was like, nothing, and another started laughing. <laughs> Shane demanded, what are you laughing at, cockhead? <gasps> and no! Then called another kid with braces fuckface. Just... That's not how you make fans. Then Shane or friends. Then Shane called a security guard over to grab the first kid's bag, thinking the camera was in it, at which point one of their fathers walked over to see what was happening. 
And Shane disappeared into the locker room with the kid's bag. Oh my God. The dad had to get two cops to intervene. And because Shane was so agitated at the moment, they had to have their sergeant come to finally get the kid's bag back for him. Clearly, this was not great. And (laughs) the Australian team, like these kids became special guests of the Australian team at subsequent. Like there was some um, smoothing of... Would you like an autographed ball? (laughs) Would you like a jersey? Would you like a... Free. Free, 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 free. For the rest of your life. You know, just come sit in the pavilion with us, kids. (laughs) Here's a cocktail. Have some tea and crumpets. Mm Mm-hmm. Shane had married in 1995 to a model named Simone Callahan. They were together about 10 years. Which makes his next year 2000 misstep a whole lot worse. That year, while he was in England playing for Hampshire, the 30-year-old married father of two met an English nurse in a nightclub and liked her enough to begin bombarding her with lewd texts and voicemails. Nope. Mm-hmm. No, no. The scandal, when it came to light in the English tabloids, cost him his vice captaincy of the Australian team, although it was not yet enough to tank his marriage, which would survive another few cycles of tabloid frenzy sex scandals. Probably also worth noting, this was the period when the British tabloids' scandalous practices were in full swing like the a number of these stories were broken by the news of the world which was eventually shut down right because of like the phone hacking scandal and all of that stuff so some of this is just a timing matter and perhaps he would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those fleet street men offering random women tens of thousands of dollars to turn over text messages if it wasn't for that meddling fleet street oh all right let us follow the fullness of time to the year 2003, when Shane was banned from cricket for a year after testing positive for a banned substance. He blamed it on his mom, who he said had innocently offered him a diuretic, a fluid pill, because he looked a little puffy. (laughs) Okay. I suspect that this was actually a mistake and not a willful attempt to cut weight or whatever else athletes may misuse diuretics for. But his suspension happened right before the team was to leave for the World Cup in February, so it sucked. I think they still won, so that was good. But hey, this is Warney Warren we're talking about, so he's going to find a way to pass that time. Oh, sure he is. In May 2003, Shane meets a 38-year-old woman at a South Melbourne nightclub, and the two begin an affair. After she ended things... He consoled himself by blowing up her phone with obscene text messages, and she consoled herself by selling the story to the tabloids and telling them what a bastard he is. Wow. He is still married. Oh, my God. Now with three kids. You couldn't find other things to spend your year off doing, man? (laughs) Taking diuretics. (laughs) Anyway, he and Simone did not formally split up until 05. But maybe 2005 was, in fact, the gentle nudge that she needed to get a move on, because that's the year that three, count them, three English women made their affairs with Shane, matters of public conversation. Simone and their three children had relocated to England two weeks before the scandal broke, believing that as a family they were going to get a fresh start. 
in London. Oh, sweet, sweet Simone. Instead, Simone and the kids flew home to Melbourne less than a month after having had farewell parties and tearful goodbyes between the kids and their friends. Like, just absolutely asinine behavior. Like, the text... they. Anyway, again, three separate women and lots of text messages and they're dopey. Anyway. Okay, Warney really does love his family. And over the next couple of years, even as his divorce became final, he was trying to patch things up with Simone. This effort hit some considerable headwinds when he composed yet another text message for yet another girlfriend Hey, beautiful, I'm just talking to my kids. The back door's open. Stop, man. And accidentally sent it to Simone. Oh, my God. Her reply? You loser, you sent the message to the wrong person. Oh, my God. And then, of course, she was in the papers explaining, like, I had suspected he was up to his old ways and blah, 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 blah. Oh, Shane. Now, friends, you may think this is where the travails of Simone Warren end, but indeed, no. Oh, no. It is not, because in December 2010, the news of the world tabloid in England blew the lid off an apparent affair between the rough-and-tumble bowler and the glamorous actress Elizabeth Hurley, who was herself married at the time. It's too much. It's too much trash. They'd been flirting on Twitter for a number of months, so I don't think it was that hard Apparently a fire alarm in the hotel where they were. Anyway, so they came outside and were photographed kissing. He thinks that the tabloid reporters pulled the fire alarm. Uh, Well, which is absolutely something that might have happened. 100%. Okay. So as far as anyone in Australia knew, though, Shane and Simone had once again been trying to patch things up between them. So Shane and Elizabeth were both forced to do some damage control Along the lines of, well, actually, we broke up a while back and we just hadn't told anybody. Yeah, that we just that we just didn't put a press release out or anything. Anyway, Liz Hurley revealed that she and her husband had been separated for a few months, although he was described with words like embarrassed, upset, and devastated. So I guess that's how that was going. You will be surprised to learn. I'm not surprised at anything else in this story. That about a week later, the husband of a Melbourne area businesswoman complained in the press about Warney's texts to his wife, a revelation that prompted Liz to dump him, only to have the world witness a wild reversal of fortune when just a couple months later in February of 2011, Liz Hurley moved into Shane Warren's mansion in Brighton, a wealthy suburb of Melbourne. It's too much. The flashy, breathless media moment was covered beautifully by Neil McMahon in the Sydney Morning Herald in a story titled When Warney Met Liz, A Bogan Love Story and Media Frenzy, (laughs) which begins this way. Here by the bay, the money bags of Brighton long ago adjusted to the bounder in their midst and all the fizz and fuss he brings with him. This time it's a gorgeous, classy Brit, possibly a bogan killer, though she seems to like him just the way he is. And he's proud as punch. Meet Shane and Liz, Warney and Hurley, Whirly and Shiz, the Shirleys, the Whirlies, the Hornies. Take your pick. This guy really likes alliteration. Oh, he's a, yeah, it's a, it's a fun piece. Show notes, trashydivorces.com. It's there. Now, what did you call this? Uh, a bogan. A bogan. Bogan. I think that this is, I think that bogan is possibly used similarly 
to the way that redneck is used here in, in the sense that it used to be sort of a derogatory term for like maybe something uncouth and then gradually became more of like almost a nationalistic identity kind of thing. Like okay. a Bogan. Like, Interesting. Yeah. Like Australian ruggedness. Okay. Um, rough around the edges. That sort of thing. Anyway, Bogan. I'm sure Aussies will tell us. They no doubt. McMahon goes on to describe the throngs of media assembled outside of Warney's mansion, the impromptu press conference forced on a delivery man dropping off a display of roses while inside this desperately watched home. Liz tweeted, A beautiful, lazy, sunny day in Melbourne. Am nearly converted to Vegemite. No. Warney's kids were brought over to meet Liz, as was his mother. Strange inside, no doubt, but stranger out. The media pack waits for even the most paltry of crumbs. Was a mattress delivered? Was it ordered by Warren or sent by a British tabloid? No and no, Warren tweeted. It was a coffee table, McMahon wrote. Warney experienced something of a transformation during his time with Liz. He dropped some weight. He learned how to use a comb. Perhaps he engaged in a bit of Botox on some wrinkly bits. Reporters noted his waxy seeming skin. So this was a big deal in Oz, like a Kardashian level pop culture frenzy. They became engaged on a whim later in 2011. And unfortunately, the press reported this before they had had a chance to tell their children. Oh, no. Who were quite furious at not being the first to know uh, a friend of Shane's had spilled in the press. Meanwhile, Liz was working pretty steadily in television in this period, which meant lengthy absences. She had also remained close to ex-boyfriend Hugh Grant, and Shane apparently really struggled with that friendship. So by the end of 2013, the whirlies over with no walk down the aisle. He writes quite fondly of Liz in his 2019 autobiography, No Spin. This is more or less the end of the romantic misadventures of Shane Warren, although he's still very much a public person, celebrity, and goofily failure-prone person. Get out of your own way, man. Australia. How, how could he do that? <laughs> After he retired from cricket, he launched the Shane Warren Foundation to help underprivileged kids, a notable, laudable goal. But he was so enamored of splashy fundraising galas, celebrity cricket matches, and high-dollar poker tournaments that he did manage to bankrupt it. Oh, dude. Yeah, they were spending way more on events than they were taking in at the events. Uh, oops. So he also once revealed on a reality television show that he thinks humans descended from aliens and does not buy that theory of evolution stuff. So I, what? that's a thing that some people believe, I guess. His co-author on the book No Spin, Mark Nicholas, notes in the introduction that, quote, women have been both his fun and his folly which seems quite apt. Shane Warren today is a 52-year-old cricket commentator who is regarded as one of the greatest players the sport has ever seen. Apparently, he and Simone managed to figure out some kind of friendship, and one of his goals at this point in his life is to appear less often in the tabloids. Good, Good idea, Shane. <laughs> Wow. I award you 708 trash cans, which is the number of wickets that he took with that deadly spin bowl during his career, making him the second highest wicket taker around. And that, friends, is how I became an expert in cricket. 
top notch. That was superb. <laughs> I don't know what other kind of posh words you say when you're I, watching cricket, but superb. I, I don't. Well done, chap. Yeah, I the cricket thing, whew, whole other world. Well, I'm calling you every time it comes on in one of my British programs no, now. No, do. Now that I'm an expert. I got it. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. For that trashy story mm-hmm. from Down Under. Greatest leg spinner of all time. Thanks, everybody, for joining us this week for Trashy Divorces. We're going to be back on Wednesday yep. with an all-new Trashy Breakup. Yep, yep. We'll be back on Patreon this week with Dumpster Dive on Tuesday. We're taking a little visit to Ciro's Nightclub on Wednesday. We'll have Nightcap Chat Thursday. If you need more Trashy Divorces in the meantime, y'all are amazing. Stay cool. We're almost to the end of 2021. You're doing mm-hmm. great. Yeah, and hey, hopefully your holidays are bright. Merry and bright. Is that the lyric? Oh, yeah. Merry and bright, because this will be our last episode until Christmas, we're, Boxing we're, Day, we're gonna next have, week. Yeah, we'll we'll have something special for you next next week too yeah we love you so much wishing you the best of holiday seasons you are awesome thank you for listening mm-hmm. to this episode and throughout the whole year three years we're in yeah kicking off year four next year 2022 mm-hmm. it's remarkable thanks for being here for the ride y'all yeah we adore each and every one of your trashy hearts until we talk again keep your hands clean keep your hearts trashy big love have a great week have a great holiday Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.